Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Cosida Connection podcast. As you may remember, last week we were chatting with Sean Medeiros of Endicott and Brian Savard of Plattsburgh State about their best practices for recruiting, training, and getting the most out of their student workers. Here is the second part of our conversation. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, so you definitely touched on some of the questions that we had as well. Um, One of the questions that we got, I think, from Facebook or maybe from an email was, how do you handle students have been disappointing? So um, both of you definitely touched on that. Um, But I actually had a question, and this is kind of a weird one, I think. Um, So it's a little out of left field, but how do you manage students using or abusing their access or resources? And so I'll give a specific example Um, A school that I worked for specifically um, had some student workers that worked with um, some of the bigger teams, if you will, and the bigger sports. And so they had like press credentials and photography credentials, and then they would leave the game and post um, a lot of those photos on like their own personal social media accounts or even videos on their own social media accounts that they were supposed to be like getting for us. And instead, I mean, they still gave them to us, but they gave them to us later and they would post those things like on their on their own platforms, like to increase their own following as opposed to giving us like the assets that we paid them to get. Um, And so I know that's like a highly like highly specific example, um, but like just the the abuse of privileges. So how do you handle that? And whoever wants to start, I have no idea. Brian, do you want me to jump in? Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I'll start out with it. I mean, I I, I can say that uh, you know, we certainly don't have <laughs> we certainly don't have that problem to that extent given, you know, we're not we're not a power 5 school or even in our popular sports, uh, you know, we're close to that where that kind of access is uh is really prized, but I, I mean, I I have had I've I've had students abuse privileges of access in, in in different ways and I mean for me I I guess it, it depends on the person you know if it's somebody who you know was sort of on their second or third strike you know that might be the straw that broke the camel's back where I come in and say listen like what you did here was inappropriate and this is showing a, a pattern of behavior uh, but you know by and large um, I, on our campus, you know, and, and I'm sure it's the same at Endicott, you know, most of our student workers are, are uh, you know, they, they, they see our other student athletes out on campus and, and whatnot. And there's usually it's not uh, privileged access to be able to be around them. But certainly, uh, you know, in the few times where, they've really abused their position of authority. If they had any leadership standing within my office, you know, we sort of knock that down. Uh, and, you know, if, like I said, if they're on their second or third strike, you know, we sort of cut ties with them. Yeah. I think to Brian's point, I think we're a little bit quicker in that area. Um, just thinking back to some broadcasters that we had start uh, last year as freshmen who were starting to get a little too close to the teams or, superseding me and going straight to the coaches to interview them about questions. Um, we bring them in right away and we kind of set the line pretty, pretty quickly on that one, just because I can't have 
student broadcasters showing up to, to coaches to ask them a bunch of questions, especially if I've never been able to introduce them to that coach or uh, student athletes. Um, you know, and generally speaking, once you kind of lay down the law on that, it's pretty easy. Um, we run into that quite a bit with photographs too, Katie, to be honest, especially with um, some of the new students we have. Um, we actually, you know, have had our, even our, our lead photographer uh, share photos with, with other people before us on big games. Uh, and that conversation definitely needed to be had uh, in a serious manner because that was starting to trickle down to the other student photographers. Um, so, you know, that's content that we're trying to push out right away, especially after some big wins. So we kind of bring that in and I'm not really a person who's, who's hard too much. I'm pretty, you know, easygoing and, and kind of go with the flow kind of guy. But when I get serious, I think the people around us notice and it kind of has a little bit more credence to it. Um, so for me, we, we just attack that right away, to be honest, because we can't have that happen. It can't permeate the rest of the students, especially the impressionable ones. Um, so to Brian's point, I think we're a little bit more on the flip side of that, just so it doesn't, um, it doesn't snowball on, on everything that we're trying to do. The photos is the biggest thing, especially with Instagram now and, and all that, um, you know, students want the photos, uh, other, other teams want the photos. Our coaches run their team accounts and they're, they're asking, you know, the student photographer for the photo before we get it. Um, and we can't have that cause everything, you know, I try and tell the coaches like it should come through our main channel first and then disperse from there. So as soon as we find out that that's happening, that's like a meeting the next day and, and we kind of get right into the discussion. I don't really hold back on that one. Uh, to, to add to Sean's point, you know, the one thing that I've, I've probably had to deal with the most and I just I don't know what made me think of it but I guess it's it's an access issue is is you know trying to uh, identify instances where our student athletes might be made uncomfortable uh, by by a student worker uh, I mean I have I've had a few different students on campus that uh, I thought certainly could have helped out my office in one way or another from a skills standpoint but uh, I wasn't willing to take a risk on that person because they they made our student athletes feel uncomfortable and and that you know really I'm I'm incredibly protective over that and and I you know I, I spend a lot of time building relationships you know you know you know professional relationships with our student athletes uh, to so that they're comfortable to tell me like hey this person's making me feel uncomfortable and and to me that's a non-starter and and I don't. I don't have tolerance for that if, you know, we're putting our student athletes in a, in a position that they don't want to be in. Brian, I'm curious what, what you think on this, but um, students who cancel frequently or uh, show up late or aren't dressed well based on, you know, what you tell them, we use sign up genius. So all the rules are in the sign up genius every time they sign up Um so we try and address that as quickly as we can. Um, I feel like I've become a little bit more lax with the the dressing part lately, which I probably need to regroup myself on a little bit. But um, Brian, with the with the scope of students that you have doing sports info and also game management, contest management, how do you address that? Because I feel like we try and try and get on top of it quickly, but maybe you know we're not as great about that as we could be. So I'm curious, kind of, what you do with that. Yeah, I mean, I think when it when it comes to attire, we're I, I tend to be 
relatively strict and some of that some of that comes from you know my ad my ad is incredibly particular about uh appearance of of our of our staff and, and our student workers so uh you know for our for our outdoor sports i'll always um I always tell our students to dress for the weather. Uh, if it's, you know, I mean, in Plattsburgh, New York, uh, I don't know if anyone's been here in the month of February. Uh, it's not warm. Uh, so I, I don't expect somebody to wear like a, a polo shirt or a shirt and tie to a lacrosse game when they're standing out in the field in 18 degree temperatures. Uh, but I, you know, I do want them to look presentable. I don't want them wearing, you know, ripped jeans, certainly. Uh, when, you know, when we're indoors, you know, especially when we're at hockey and, and we have actual, you know, media up in our press box, uh, my expectation of dress is, is a lot more uh, formal. Uh, I think one of the uh, great things about having, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, two female assistants during my time. Uh, they're able to more, uh, I, I guess, more capably handle female attire issues where I've never been overly comfortable policing that, uh, which which I think it's always better to err on the side of letting them, uh, you know, uh, wear, I don't want to say wear what they want, but, uh, you know, let them err on that side of judgment. Obviously, if something is, is you know, if they're wearing ripped jeans or a stained t-shirt, that's easy to say, but, uh, you know, I think attire is, it's an interesting thing. Uh, when it comes to showing up late uh, or or canceling, uh, I don't have much tolerance for that because uh, it makes my life harder. Uh, and if and if somebody's not reliable uh, and they're not communicating with me, then I'm I'm I mean I and again I'll be direct with them, but I can't have that. Um, we I staff way too many positions to have to worry about uh, you know a chronic. Uh, chronically late game clock operator or a chronically late uh, statistician. Uh, I need them to be, uh, you know, on time. I ask my students to be there an hour before the start of the contest. Uh, sometimes that's overkill. Uh, most of the time it builds in like 10 or 15 minutes of leeway if they're running a little bit late. Uh, and then they're there 45 minutes before the start of the contest, and that's usually before the officials come out uh, for them to need to talk to the officials, depending on the sport, whether you know it's lacrosse or basketball, where the officials usually want to meet with that table crew. Uh, so, I mean, that's sort of how I deal with those sorts of issues. Guys, random question: Do you have have either of you ever been in a situation where you couldn't pay your student workers or your interns? Yeah. So at my, uh, at a previous employer of mine, uh, I didn't have a student worker budget, and I was in charge of you know many of the same things that I I am in my current position. So that includes table staff, uh, statisticians, you know, uh, broadcast camera operators, uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, and I, honestly, I it, it's it's challenging, but. I think uh, in those instances, I I think I've recruited largely within the teams. I think in those instances where you're not, you don't have the ability to pay a student, it becomes that much harder to recruit people uh, to work for you that don't have an immediate buy-in in, in you know, the athletic department that you're working in. 
Um, so, for example, uh, at the school I was at, uh, our, I, I sort of convinced our, our men's and women's volleyball teams to work each other's matches. So uh, during the women's season, our men's volleyball team, you know, ran score sheet and libero tracker and, uh, you know, were ball shaggers, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then vice versa, you know, during the men's season, our women's team uh, did, the, did the same thing. Uh, you know, and, and I would try to, you know, I would, I would try to recruit as many interns as I could in my office. And, and as a part of uh, the students' internships, you know, they would, uh, they would have to work games. And that was spelled out in uh, the performance plan that I put together for my interns. And that, you know, uh, one thing that I do do uh, for all my internships is, is I put together a performance program for the internship advisors so that they can see what the student's doing. I had to be a little bit more creative to try to sell uh, that uh, being a, a ball shagger or being a scoreboard operator was going to contribute toward their PR internship or the communications internship, but there usually was some uh, tangential tie to it. Uh, so. I, I guess the long and the short of it is there's no real easy answer, but I think you really have to, you know, have people believe in you and, and, and believe in your office and believe in the, your office's function to keep the department afloat despite the fact that, hey, you know, you may not be able to pay them, but hopefully in that them working for you, uh, that other student athletes will be working, uh, you know, for those athletes when they're in season. So, uh, that was sort of my experience with that. So one thing to piggyback off of Brian, uh, sometimes we have students who lose their work study eligibility. Um, and it generally happens later in their academic career. What we'll do is depending on the student, um, you know, if they want to stay on board, we will offer them the ability to put it as an internship on their resume. Um, the, the unique part of Endicott's academic model is students have to partake in three internships before they graduate, one being a semester long. Um, so we just kind of add a different element to their resume. So we'll just call it Endicott Athletics Communications Internship. Um, and we'll try and give them different roles based on what they've done previously. If there's something that's more geared towards their major, just to keep them. Uh, I, I really try and do that, especially when I really like the student and want to keep them on. It's been somewhat successful. Um, we've definitely lost some students that way. Uh, but generally speaking, if we can kind of offer that up to those students, it ends up keeping them, but you know, that's vastly different from what Brian was, was talking about in terms of not having any work study budget. Uh, and then the other thing is, is depending on the role with the work study position, we'll start to use maybe their content a little bit more or, or give them a little bit more benefit to stay, uh, depending on the, the quality of the content, if we can use it on the website or social and things like that. Uh, but anyway, we can kind of try and help them in their road to getting through graduation is, is what we'll do. But it's obviously a unique situation. I'm sure there's a lot of D3s that have to deal with that. Um, so hopefully what Brian talked about will help a little bit with, with people who are in that position. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys sharing your thoughts on that because, I, I mean, I know schools and I know people that work at schools who don't have a budget. So, so yeah, it's definitely like a situation and it stinks and – and I also really appreciate you sharing some of the not so fun stuff with with some issues with student workers. I know obviously we appreciate and we I mean many of us in this profession need students to do our jobs. Like 
literally need them to do our jobs. <laughs> it would not so, happen without them. <laughs> exactly. And so I know that like having them is such a great is such a great thing and it's such a great addition to a lot that we're doing. So thanks for talking through some of the more, you know, negative and bummer parts of it. Um, all right, I'm gonna toss it to Katie. I think we have a few more questions left for you. Yeah, we actually only have just a short little bit left for you guys. So the last thing you've hired them, you've trained them, you've uh, had some issues with them apparently according to this this uh, little step-by-step thing. But one thing I want to check with you guys um, before we head out of here, uh, what do you do once your student workers, you know, maybe it's February of their senior year, they're getting close to graduating, they are now on the job hunt. What it, what do you do personally to um, make sure you get put them in the best position to get hired after? Um, I'll start out with you, Sean. With you, Sean. Yeah, I love this one. This is a great question. Uh, we we make it very clear when they first come on to our staff as freshmen that we are here for them more than just as work study students. For example, we have one student uh, who is like the town next over from where I grew up in Fall River, Mass. So we were be able to connect with that. Um, so his being a freshman, you know, I was like, hey, if you just ever need anything, you you ever need you know, advice on scheduling classes because our men's volleyball coach who's an assistant SID is an 08 alum and our graduate assistant just graduated last year. So we have the ability to maybe coach them in other areas. So we make that pretty well known. Uh, and as they get closer to um, graduation, we kind of have those conversations with them at games, before games, if they're in work study uh, in office hours, I actually have one student who's like, quite frankly, freaking out about graduating. Um, so we're, we're talking almost daily about it. But, you know, we'll, we'll review their resume, we'll look at their cover letters, we will, you know, give advice about certain things they should accentuate on their resume. Um, you know, we'll, we'll copy edit it for grammar, we'll pretty much do anything. We'll help them out with, you know, the job search, like I've, I've, personally gone on, you know, like LinkedIn or, or Google and trying to help them out or just honestly just have that conversation. There's nothing more meaningful when a student comes in. And I know it stinks because there's a lot going on in some ways than we're sitting there trying to get a huge to do list done um, between navigating social and navigating, you know, requests and just website stuff and articles and all that. Um, but if you have that sit down conversation for an hour with a student, it really pays off in the long run, I actually really love those conversations just because it gives so much more meaning to the work we're doing. Uh, you know, th there's probably, you know, hopefully people listening that have heard other people in the profession say that. I think that's the, the best part that that part that most people don't see in the sports information role, where you have those connections with those students and you're able to help them out with things that they want to do beyond graduation. So once we get to senior year, when you've built those relationships, when you know those students beyond just their name and what roles they do for you, then we'll kind of offer that up as a staff. I, I will give credit to our men's volleyball coach, um, George Chapel, who's also the assistant SID. He is extremely good at that in, in talking with students about what they want to do long-term um, and, and where they're going. We, we actually, just to kind of break down a story for you, um, just to give a sense of what he's like, we had a student in our office who's actually one of our better work study students, but she was kind of homesick. And um, from a retention standpoint, she was actually thinking of transferring. Um, and we actually stopped what we were doing in the office. And George, who's really good at being personable with the students, 
you know, broke down what she wanted to do in life and, and beyond graduation. And we kind of hit the pause button and everything ended up working out. She wanted to do baseball analytics. Uh, and we had just previously had a student who worked with our baseball team and then did a summer league internship uh, with baseball analytics for a GM. We connected the two of those students together and now she's actually going to do an internship at that place that he previously interned. So I think she saw a little bit more buy-in and staying and being connected to, to other people. And those, those two kids, if I'm not mistaken, have actually become friends over the discussions they've had. Um, so that, that for us is way more meaningful than, you know, some of the other aspects of the, the profession. I, I love seeing the, the progression in, in those type of areas. So, um, you know, I think people listening at home, at the end of the day, like the, the students were there for them. Um, and before you realize it, they probably will rely, will rely on you more than you think. Um, so the more you're offering up those type of, you know, situations, Hey, come in, I'll look at your, your resume. Hey, come in, you know, we'll just have a career discussion. It's, it's just, it's really meaningful. And I think in the long term, um, those students will really appreciate that. I know I kind of rambled a little bit there, but that's something that I really care about with our work study students. So hopefully something, you know, someone gets something out of that. Um, but that's just one area that I really, really enjoy about the job. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important part of it. And we all know this is a very much connection driven industry. So if they are trying to go into communications or sports info, um, anything someone who's already in the field can do can help, um, Anything else you want to add on to that, Brian? Yeah, I, 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 for whatever reason, I have not had many of my students uh, stay in the profession. Uh, but <laughs> I, but I don't always see it as a bad thing because I, I think you know, a most of them when they when they graduate from here, uh, you know, they have a job lined up, and whether that's you know. Uh, you know, working, you know, I had a PR student who's working in student affairs now. Um, you know, I have, you know, somebody that decided to go into social work. Um, uh, you know, I have somebody who decided to go into finance. Um, uh, you know, I, I have students from so many different backgrounds and most of them don't go into athletic communications, but, um, I still, I still have conversations with them nonetheless to talk about job interviews, to talk about resume prep. Um, I, I obviously am more knowledgeable about constructing a resume and a cover letter for an athletic communications job versus say like a teaching mm -hmm. job. But I certainly uh, have those conversations with people, you know, here because I think uh, sometimes, you know, particularly at, at Plattsburgh, where a lot of people are on the five-year plan and and are you know need a little bit of guidance, it's important to to find out, you know, hey, w like what jobs are you applying for? What are you interested in? And taking that kind of interest in, in them, their senior year is really important. And then the other thing that I, I love doing is I, I love writing, you know, I'm always willing to write letters of recommendation for students that have done a good job for me or, or you know, obviously, uh, you know, field, you know, reference calls. I mean, I feel like I, I that can become almost like a part-time job at some points on, on top of everything else, just because of the volume of students who've worked for me. Uh, but it's, it, it's enjoyable to know that I can speak 
uh, to their strengths and I can connect it to uh, a job that they, you know, that has nothing to do with athletics, but I can show, hey, this is like, listen, they worked in a high, you know, yeah, they're going into nursing and they're going to be working in a hospital. Well, yeah, they worked a game clock at a basketball game with two basketball coaches yelling at them. Like, you know, the, the, it, the skills are somewhat transferable, even though that they're, they're not always tangible. Uh, so I, I like to think that I can help communicate what their experience was like in our office uh, to potential employers in ways that maybe they themselves uh, didn't think of uh, in, in ways that, hey, they, they are going to be a valuable social worker because they did this. Uh, and so, yes, it, it, like, like Sean said, it's, it's one of the best parts uh, of the job here. And, and I'm fortunate that I, I work with people from all walks of life here. I have a women's basketball player, uh, who doesn't work for me, uh, but, uh, she's, you know, graduating within two years, which is crazy. You know, I, and then I have some folks who, uh, are changing majors two or three times and, you know, might take an extra year because they figure out what they want to do in year three or four. Uh, so, uh, you know, to, to be able to help toward people's, uh, you know, career path is, is definitely a rewarding thing for sure. Brian, I think I'll have to ask you off air about graduating in two years. That sounds awesome, honestly. Um, but speaking of, right? of that, you, yeah, like two <laughs> years, how do you do that? Um, but I thought Brian made two really great points. One about the reference letters. Um, and I think he touched upon that really well, but I feel like that's super important for us in our positions to be able to do that. But the other thing he mentioned was the interview part. Um, in our jobs, obviously, as communicators, I feel like we have a distinct advantage in that area. And if you're able to coach a student or a student athlete in a little bit of a better manner and how to go into an interview, how to speak, how to answer questions, how to prep for an interview, even that um, in terms of research and, and things like that, which, you know, is obviously in our wheelhouse in some areas, um, you know, that that's also that's also really key. So I thought Brian raised a great point about that is that, you know, even if you're not looking at resumes or things like that, maybe you can coach up students about how to speak or how to react to certain questions based on the media training that we do or don't do with students or with our coaches. Uh, but just in general, since we we have to interview coaches a lot, we have to manage a lot of different personalities in, in our role. Um, but that's another key one that I think is is fun when you can have that conversation with a student um, and then, you know, maybe you can use it to your advantage as well. Like, you know, you're talking with a student about how to interview. Maybe you can grab some tips from that in media training with students when they talk to reporters. Uh, so it's really twofold there. Um, but I think that's really key what Brian brought up overall, but those two points um, in, in emphasis on those two points too. Yeah. Interview training is very important. Someone might ask you what animal you would be if you could be an animal. I feel like I would be really comfortable in an interview if I got asked that I would hope um okay well since we're about done with the podcast I think I need to ask you guys that question I think that's how we end this um so I'm gonna include myself and Katie in this um I'll go last though uh Sean if you were an animal what would you be and why uh I would be a deer why I think they're pretty cool animals um uh -huh. they're they're intelligent and um, 
I was going to pick a bald eagle first because that was always my favorite animal. But over time, I think <laughs> I think in reading up on on that animal and like what it represents, I think that would probably represent me most. Okay. What about you, Brian? Boy, I mean, this is this is a tough question. I'd probably say yeah. that I am a penguin um, okay. because I, I uh, while, while they're not indigenous to the Arctic, but rather the Antarctic, uh, I pretty much live in the Arctic. Um, and uh, I don't fly. I'm a little short and pudgy, and I swim. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I went the serious route, and then you go that route. I can't handle that. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. All right, Katie. <laughs> well, I would like to be a bird, so I okay. can fly. But then I, I realized the bird is like a type of animal, not like a specific animal. <laughs> so that is accurate. I probably wouldn't get hired if this were my interview. <laughs> Katie? I like, the, I like the humility there. Um, <laughs> I have a couple answers. So... One, um, this isn't really my answer, but I asked this question when I went on a tour of all of our campuses, and one of the girls, um, women, said that she would be a panda because they're born with no known enemies, um, which I think is a pretty good reasoning, and also pretty cool. Pandas are very cute, but realistically, I'd want to be a sloth because A, they're my favorite animal, and B, (laughs) I love sleeping. (laughs) I I love sloths. Which is a terrible (laughs) answer to give in an interview, but it's the real answer. They're so cute. Sorry, I'm like, I'm I obsessed with sloths. I have three stuffed sloths hanging around my apartment. <laughs> they're so There's nothing slow. wrong with the sloth. They're, they're everything. They are so slow. Like, I, particu- imagine... well, I particularly love how they chew on the leaves, you know? <laughs> Slowly. Like, it's just like... <laughs> so, so they kind of I... like hippos. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading why I picked a deer here, because one time I took a spirit animal test. And it landed on deer, and now I'm reading up about it. And um, apparently, they're gentle and kind, so that's why I picked it. They're also <laughs> and, very easy and they and and they have a magical ability to regenerate and being in touch with life's mysteries. So apparently, I thought that was awesome, and I remembered that somehow. I don't know. <laughs> that was really so, deep. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I know I got really deep there. You know. <laughs> this is like the perfect Halloween. <laughs> podcast like, just imagine it's all in our conversation for those who are listening it's in... halloween right now we have made yes. sean who lives in salem sit on a podcast on halloween so yep sean i'm in my worst waldo costume, costume ready to uh oh, enjoy the salemness it'll be fun i love it next year at your house <laughs> right? i'm down podcasting live from sean's house yes i love it i love it awesome well thanks again guys um we really enjoyed having you and talking with you on this topic. And, um, yeah, I know we were dying, obviously, to go trick-or-treating tonight, but thanks for spending some time with us. So, for Katie, we'll, we'll be back with another episode of the Cosida Connection podcast soon. In the meantime, you can find us on the interwebs. We'll start with our guest, Brian. How can people reach out to you if they'd like to get in touch? Sure. Uh, so, people can get uh, in touch with me uh, on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at B Savard SID uh, or by email at B S A V A 4 at plattsburgh.edu. I kind of sound like James Bond there a little bit. <laughs> Sean, what about you? Uh, they can certainly email me at S M E D E I R O at endicott.edu or I'll give the Twitter plug too. It's at 
uh, Sean underscore Medeiros. First letters of first and last name are uppercase. Um, and then you'll see my, you know, fanhood for Jimmy Eat World there. So you got the right one. And my Bitmoji. So, you know, <laughs> if, if you're looking for the Twitter, there's Red Sox and Jimmy Eat World. It'll, it'll be an easy find. <laughs> Perfect. Um, for me, you can email me at um, kgh at temple.edu is my new email address. Or you can find me on Twitter at kfgwinning. Katie Mucci? How do people connect with you? You can slide into my DMs by finding me at <laughs> Katie Mucci on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and if you want to shoot me an email um, and not slide into my DMs, it's kmucci at nbc.org. <laughs> it's getting late. I love it. <laughs> we are getting out of hand, guys. <laughs> awesome. Well, Thanks thank for having us. Yes, thank you. Thank you guys so much Thanks. for joining us. Appreciate right. it. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs>